Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. From Kauai wasn't enough. I'm like, fuck you, cause now we got Drew. Said if I was better, I'd make a three pointer. But have you seen Chris Middleton? And although the heat gon' get swept, I wish Jimmy the best. Tell him, fuck you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, I'm sorry about 19 and 20. But that don't mean I can't get you there. I'm 26, I got two MVPs, the way I play the game ain't fair, I pity the heat for not getting James Harden, should've traded Tyler Hero, I got locked by Bam Adebayo, I got some news for you, Bryn Forbes hit six threes in game two, you see I drive in the paint with my long ass arms, I'm like, fuck you. I guess the shame from Kawhi wasn't enough. I'm like, fuck you, cause now we got Drew. Said if I was better, I'd make a three-pointer. But have you seen Chris Middleton? And although the heat gon' get swept, I wish Jimmy the best. Tell him, fuck you. Good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. What you just listened to, totally unprompted, was... Our newest song from our uh, labyrinth of uh, music creating here on the Take It Easy podcast, which is uh, just me riding high from the Milwaukee Bucks, dominating the Miami Heat on Monday night and deciding, you know what? Let's make another song because a little catchy song came into my head of Giannis Antetokounmpo taking the F.U. song by CeeLo Green, that was number one in 2007, I want to say, taking that song and then turning it into Buck You, which is a Milwaukee Bucks theme song sung by Giannis Antetokounmpo this year. Because the Milwaukee Bucks, the team I've been saying is right in the midst of their championship window. They're very much... Should have and could have won the championship last year had Giannis stayed healthy. 
is now beating the living crap out of the Miami Heat, and I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Oh my gosh, I am riding so high right now on all of these NBA playoff games. Second of all, we mentioned the Bucks extensively in that song, but I have a one of my favorite players in the NBA is Trey Young, and I have been riding high on the Warriors South train uh, uh, since about October of 2019 when I said that they would be a four seed and Trey Young would end up being an MVP candidate. I have been riding high on the Warriors South train, and you're telling me not only have I been vindicated on the Warriors South thing, and not only does DeAndre Hunter look like he has a legitimate future as a number two star, and not only do we have the first child of the Steph Curry generation, but that he's going to irritate people with the way that he plays his game because he plays kind of James Harden-like. And you're going to tell me that he's going to be a villain for New York? Oh, it doesn't get any better than that. You're telling me that someone who's going to be universally hated, that Bill de Blasio is going to make a cringy yet, I will admit, funny video clapping at Trey Young for drawing too many fouls. But he's going to hit game-winning floater buzzer beaters against the New York Knicks and tell everyone to shush that it's real quiet in here and everyone's going to hate him and I'm going to love him. Oh, it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than everyone hates Trey Young and I need to buy his jersey immediately and start repping the Trey Young jersey. Maybe I need a Giannis jersey too. What I do have is the Kawhi Leonard t-shirt that if you've tuned in on YouTube before and if you tune in later today to the Take It Easy radio show or if you're listening in the afternoon or evening or night, however and whenever you are listening, thank you for stopping in here on the Take It Easy podcast. If you're listening at one of those times, look on our YouTube and look on Open Talk Radio 313 The Flash for our radio show. You've noticed the Kawhi Leonard shirt I've worn a number of times, which is Kawhi Leonard's New Balance branded Jolly Rancher t-shirt with a bunch of Jolly Ranchers that have no facial expressions on them. I love Kawhi Leonard. Grew up in San Diego, just outside San Diego State. The San Diego State Aztecs were my team growing up that San Diego could get behind, and Kawhi Leonard was their superstar, and now he's a superstar in the NBA, and it's super cool for Kawhi Leonard to be great. And to that I say, Clippers fans, Are you feeling nervous right about now? Are you feeling the tension in the air if you're a Los Angeles Clippers fan? Because unfortunately, y'all might be in some trouble. Y'all might be in some trouble. The Clippers are down to oh-oh-oh-oh. And there's no music to help my voice sound better. So the Clippers are down 2-0 now. And 
We talked about this on Sunday. No, we talked about this on Monday's. No, we did talk about this on Sunday's episode of Wired Up 74 about the Los Angeles Clippers. And we list off a bunch of the stats on the Clippers this year. The Clippers are second in net rating and second in strength of record. And strength of record is the team statistic that most resembles what we typically talk about as the eye test. Like the Clippers, we all kind of assumed, even though they were the four seed, would probably be one of the favorites to win the Western Conference. And the Los Angeles Clippers are now down 2-0 after two games at home to the Dallas Mavericks, who just cannot miss a shot. Like Dallas, in their first two games, had 114 and 130 points against the Los Angeles Clippers. And Luka Doncic has had two fantastic games, and I think they'll come back down to earth. But one of the things that we talked about on Sunday is that the Clippers are second in win shares. I'm sorry, second in not we'll get to win shares. Second in net rating, 6 point plus 6.9, nice. So they have scored 6.9 more points, which means they're dominating games they win and losing games closer which means they might be in store for a dominant victory coming up pretty soon. The Clippers also are extremely dependent on Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard is, what for their team, Kawhi Leonard is first in offensive win shares by a significant margin, which is to be expected, but he's first in defensive win shares. He's first in win shares per 48 by about, I think, 50% more than the next closest person, which is a ridiculously huge gap. The Clippers are very, very dependent on Kawhi Leonard for a lot of their success. And yesterday was a perfect example of that because the Clippers went into halftime with a lead despite the fact that the Mavericks scored 71 points in the first half. The Los Angeles Clippers scored 73. And how did they get to 73? Because Kawhi Leonard played the entire first half and scored 30 points for the Clippers. And I'd never felt more vindicated than right at that point when the Los Angeles Clippers came out in the second half and Dallas just started spraying threes all over the place. Like Tim Hardaway's dagger for a victory is going to be remembered, but you had Luka hitting step back threes. You had Porzingis hitting three pointers. You had Jalen Brunson in the first game hit more threes. In this game, uh, you had Josh Richardson hit three threes in the second half. Uh, the Clippers really didn't have an answer for the three-pointers, and the Mavericks took a lead in there. But I knew I was vindicated on the, the Kawhi Leonard stuff when I'm watching the second half, and Terrence Mann is going for a bunch of the Clippers' offense. Like, a ton of the Clippers' second-half scoring comes from Terrence Mann. I know Terrence Mann is good, but and Paul George and Kawhi, do they're, they're not terrible. Like, Kawhi ends up with 41 points after 30 in the first half. And Paul George, who, you know, it was <laughs> game one, it was like five minutes into the first game when playoff P and pandemic P are already trending. Um, and again, last night, just immediately playoff P is trending. It's, it's <laughs> and still trending actually right now. Uh, right now, Paul George is still trending. But Paul George had a pretty damn good game. Um, but Paul George had a crossover on Porzingis right before half that was really awesome. I forgot about that one. That was uh, amazing. But 
Paul George, uh, Paul George did not quite end up working out that way, but uh, he did have a good game, and the, and the Clippers didn't have enough because the Mavericks were just out of this world. And I got to be honest, if you're, if you're down 2-0 to the Mavericks, as good as the Clippers are, we know the Clippers are significantly better than the Dallas Mavericks. And to the point, over the whole season, especially defensively, that's where the big difference sets in. The Mavericks and Clippers are pretty close offensively. Uh, Clippers are eighth. Or I'm sorry, Clippers are fourth in offensive rating. Mavericks are eighth in offensive rating. It's just the Clippers are eighth in defensive rating, and the Mavericks are twentieth in defensive rating. So defense is where the Clippers can kind of pick apart the Mavericks. But in this game, it wasn't for a lack of Kawhi Leonard, or to the fact it what it was a lack of enough Kawhi Leonard, unfortunately, to combat an epic performance by the Dallas Mavericks, where they scored 130 points in regulation, like they just did not miss. And it just couldn't work out for Kawhi Leonard, even though he had 41 and 30 in the first half. You just unfortunately needed more from Kawhi Leonard if your offense is going to be dependent on Terrence Mann for a significant portion of your scoring down the stretch. All right, Lakers fans, we don't have to do this for you, though. We don't have to hit the panic button for you headed into game three because Anthony Davis finally showed up people welcome back anthony davis to our nba relevancy 30 plus points a double double for anthony davis and convincing the lakers that i think andre drummond might be headed to the bench for game three that andre drummond might not get to play because he's not jiving well with the lakers offense which is the exact same thing that happened last year with the miami heat which is just Yes, they're going to be able to put small man on Anthony Davis, and that's what you want, but if Anthony Davis isn't going to take over, and you can have Drummond sitting on uh what's his name? Drummond sitting on DeAndre Ayton, well at the very least you can put Marcus Saul in, and at the very least Marcus Saul drags Ayton out of the paint so that little man can go to work or Anthony Davis can go to work on little man. And get his dunks and get his post moves and get his shots within zero to five feet. Anthony Davis should be going full like Zion Williamson and Giannis Antetokounmpo on them. Sure, he can hit the three-pointers. He hit the game-sealing three-pointer for the Lakers against Phoenix. But Anthony Davis's game is more predicated on... We've talked about this before. We talked about this last week after game one. Anthony Davis's game is predicated on his big man moves, his post moves, and his ability to catch lobs 14 feet above the basket. Now, he's also great in the mid-range. Anthony Davis is a very good mid-range shooter. But if Anthony Davis is going to be guarded by Juan T, and he's going to be guarded by Cam Johnson, and he's going to be settling for mid-range... Other teams will live with that. They will live with Anthony Davis settling for the mid-range because if he makes 40% of his mid-range and he takes, say, 16 mid-range shots per game, that's 16, 40% of 16 is 6.4. So Anthony Davis makes seven mid-range jumpers a game. That's 14 points. And then you have a situation like last night where if he doesn't get to the free throw line a lot, well, Anthony Davis is only scoring in the 20s or like game one where he went three for 16 from the field. Anthony Davis only scores 13 points for the Lakers. And what happened last night? 
Anthony Davis got fouled a lot. He shot 21 free throws and hit 18 of them. And that's the bully ball Anthony Davis needs to be doing all the time. And the way the Lakers can compensate this is by going small lineup with Davis at the five, Caruso, Schroeder, KCP, LBJ, and of course, Anthony Davis. Have Drummond not play at the same time as Davis, but have Mark Gasol kind of be that guy. Because at the very least, if you put Aiton on Mark Gasol, at the very least, it spreads out the inside so that Anthony Davis can get the ball at the rim. Because Mark Gasol can at the very least sit behind the three-point line and play on the perimeter and dare them to beat Anthony Davis that way. At the very least, pull Anthony Davis out. And if he's guarded by DeAndre Ayton, Anthony Davis can work DeAndre Ayton. Yes, it's better if he's guarded by Cam Johnson and they work double teams, but let DeAndre Ayton guard Anthony Davis or let DeAndre Ayton guard Marcus Saul and go to work on those two because you can live with Anthony Davis tearing apart your big men. And so when Davis is working inside like he is last night, he's getting to the free throw line. And when he dominates like a big man, then the skill set of Davis and Andre Drummond becomes repetitive. All they need Drummond to do is grab rebounds when Anthony Davis ends up going to the bench. And Marc Gasol ends up being that guy who can kind of just at the very least drag the defense outside and dare DeAndre Ayton to guard Anthony Davis because DeAndre Ayton is not the greatest defensive player in the NBA. Last year's Rocket series was the point where P.J. Tucker kind of exposed the book on Anthony Davis. And I kind of realized this when the Warriors, who are obviously a much better defensive team, they figured out the strategy by putting Juan T. They had a small ball lineup. Like Draymond Green was their big most of the time. Kevon Looney would play Davis sometimes, but Kevon Looney's like one of those statue centers that Anthony Davis is just way too athletic for Kevon Looney. So they would put Juan T on Anthony Davis and they would have Draymond rotate on the double team every time. And Davis would end up settling for these mid-range jumpers because he couldn't get through Juan T, get to the basket, or at the very least draw a foul on Draymond Green or Juan T. And so if you play a smaller man on Anthony Davis and dare him to shoot mid-range Jays, you can totally contain him during the games where he goes three for nine or three for sixteen, like he did in game one, or when he was guarded by Juan T in the play-in game. For the Lakers to be their best, Anthony Davis has to be a five and use his elite post moves and lob catching abilities and shoot like 90% of his shots within zero to five feet of the basket. Another statistic that I brought up yes that I saw yesterday, and shout out to Bomani Jones for giving me these statistics. Anthony Davis shot 38% from three in the bubble when his career average is about 31%, and he's shooting 26% this year. So that's a 12% difference in his three-point shooting from the bubble to this regular season. Anthony Davis also shot about 15% better on mid-range jumpers in the bubble than he did this season, which is to say Anthony Davis was much helped by the sight lines in the bubble because he had statistically anomaly seasons shooting the entire time they were in the bubble. And so Anthony Davis comes back now. He's not hitting mid-range and threes at the same rate, although he did hit a couple last night, which is why the Lakers end up getting that game two in Phoenix. 
but Anthony Davis can be left alone from out there. Not because he's terrible. Like Anthony, I mean, he's terrible at three point shooting, but he's not terrible from the mid range. Anthony Davis can be left out there because the alternative is Anthony Davis going full big man and dominant big man. So you're kind of picking your poison with Anthony Davis. You're letting him sit outside and shoot those baskets. And yes, he might go for 20-something points when he hits the basket, but at the very least, he's staying away from the best shots in the game, which are 0-5 to feet and at the free throw line. Those are the best shots you can get in the NBA, are 0-5 to feet and getting to the free throw line. And what did Anthony Davis do yesterday? Lots of dunks and 18 free throws out of 21 attempts. That is how Anthony Davis can reestablish himself as dominant big man, and the Lakers can help him by once again put him at the five. And they might not do it now because they won game three or game two, and they kind of proved, which of course they can, they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, that they can win games with this strategy of Drummond and Anthony Davis and the Lakers being big like they were last year. But then they got to the Heat in the playoffs, and no, the Heat and the Rockets. It happened twice for them. So they got to the Heat and the Rockets where they had to move Anthony Davis to the five, take Dwight Howard out of the lineup, take JaVale McGee out of the lineup. And that's when the Lakers ended up being at their best. And the problem with them, the other side, is that Montrez Harrell is an offensive big, but Montrez Harrell is not a true five. Montrez Harrell plays more of a four. Anthony Davis is closer to a true five than Montrez Harrell is but because Anthony Davis wants to keep playing power forward, which is understandable. Like over a long season, Anthony Davis can shoot the mid range and shoot the long range twos. Um, because if he's going to make them, the Lakers are going to win some of these games against inferior defenses. It's the same thing the Bucks did with Giannis this year. It's okay that Anthony Davis shoots a lot of threes in the regular season, but Anthony Davis is big man who has to use the big man moves to take teams down. And it's also combined with the fact, like let's acknowledge Anthony Davis is like one bad pivot from hurting his Achilles again. So I don't know how much he he has trust in his post moves and his jumping ability and all that stuff right now, but like it's still a very much a reality that Anthony Davis is playing hurt as we speak. So all of that to say, Anthony Davis, you figured it out in game two. It you know, it's never game two's never a must win. Um, unless you're the Miami Heat against the Bucks, um, but Anthony Davis definitely came to play in Game Two, not because he like an attitude thing, but Anthony Davis came to play like a five, and that ended up making all the difference. So put Marcus All at the four, put Anthony Davis at the five, move Drummond to the bench, and let him play the ten, the nine to ten minutes when AD is off the floor. Even if Drummond might be more talented than Marcus Gasol, it's just a repetitive skill set as long as Davis is going to dominate. And they kind of need to clear out the lanes for Anthony Davis to dominate Cam Johnson or to dominate DeAndre Ayton. Because again, people are like, but you want the smaller matchup. No, defenses want the smaller matchup on Anthony Davis. They want to dare Anthony Davis to shoot in the mid-range. They want a P.J. Tucker. They want a Juan T. They want a Cam Johnson guarding Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis should go right at DeAndre Ayton because the reason that the Suns have been affecting this strategy is because Anthony Davis is going to work DeAndre Ayton if they put those two together in a game down the road in this series. 
it's going to work, DeAndre Ayton. So good a job by Anthony Davis of getting to the free throw line. And that's just what the numbers suggest. Might not be physically appealing. Anthony Davis hitting that dagger of a three was appealing, and I definitely shouted seeing that. But Anthony Davis, well played. You finally went back to your big man roots, and that is the best way and really the only way, considering the shortcomings of the rest of the baby Lakers this year, which are not really babies anymore. They're just kind of the bench guys. Considering the shortcomings of the team other than LeBron and Anthony Davis, the Lakers might actually need Anthony Davis to start taking over in order to advance through some of these series. Because I would look around and I'd say regardless of what happens in Suns-Lakers, I'm feeling pretty good about the Denver Nuggets beating both of them in a long series in the second round. I think it is very, very possible. You see, I drive in the paint with my long ass arms and I'm like, fuck you. I guess the shame from Kawhi wasn't enough. I'm like, fuck you, cause now we got Drew. Said if I was better, I'd make a three-pointer. But have you seen Chris Middleton? And although the heat gon' get swept, I wish Jimmy the best. Tell him, fuck you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, I'm sorry about 19 and 20. But that don't mean I can't get you there. Cause I'm 26, I got two MVPs. The way I play the game ain't fair. I pity the heat for not getting James Harden. Should have traded Kalahiro, I got locked by Bam out of my yo. I got some news for you. Bryn Forbes hit six threes in game two. You see, I drive in the paint with my long ass arms. I'm like, fuck you. I guess the shame from Kawhi wasn't enough. I'm like, fuck you, cause now we got Drew. Said if I was better, I'd make a three-pointer. But have you seen Chris Middleton? And although the heat gon' get swept, I wish Jimmy the best. Tell him, fuck you. So I wanted to change the tone a little bit. I know we can laugh at, at my uh, terrible singing ability and Buck You songs, but let's change the tone a little bit here because I want to talk a bit about Deshaun Watson. Because this story has gone down a little bit in the news cycle for the last month or so, and part of that is the legal process paying out. But there have been some storylines, and more importantly, enough time has passed between the initial statements about the massage clients and the chance for journalism to take place and journalism is able to report some of this stuff and so over the weekend there was a report from Sports Illustrated from Greg Bishop and Jenny Vrentas sorry if I mispronounced her name uh, about Deshaun Watson and so I wanted to revisit this story that you know had a lot of attention had a lot of movement to it and uh, now it appears is starting to take some sort of shape in terms of like understanding more of the details because credible journalism is actually taking a look at what's going on here. And so here's the update on Deshaun Watson 
from Jenny Vrentas and Greg Bishop. And by the way, Deshaun Watson still has the legal process ongoing and uh, he will like, we'll get to the football. So here's the place to start with this. There are three sides to talk about here in this story. There's the human element. There's the legal element and the football element. Those are three parts that all are required to talk about when referring to Deshaun Watson. The football part is what draws us into Deshaun Watson. The legal element is why it's a storyline. And the human element is important to talk about because we have to humanize these types of issues. It's very important for society to recognize that there are real people and real situations and real lives being altered because of these events. And this is the this is something that extends beyond sports because again sports reflect society. If we can do this in our real life contexts, all of a sudden less people would be feeling less alone. So, like I said, there's the human element, the legal element, and the football element to this story. And so, let's take the football element right now and put it off to the side. We'll come back later and bring the football element back in, but for now we're just going to take that football element, move it off to the right, and then come back to the story. So let's talk about the human element first here. Deshaun Watson is now obviously facing 22, 22 cases of sexual misconduct. And Deshaun Watson is battling those out in court. But what's important to talk about is the stories themselves. The local massage community had been discussing Watson's conduct as far back as 2019. And so I wanted to just read directly from the story that they did. And this is, uh, this is a case around the first Deshaun Watson the first events of Deshaun Watson. They didn't know what to do. By the way, this is quoted directly from the article from Jenny Vrentas and Greg Bishop. They didn't know what to do. So a licensed massage therapist who worked with Ashley Solis reached out to an industry veteran asking for help. Quote, I have a colleague that was solicited during a session by a professional athlete at her in-home studio. She wrote over Facebook Messenger. Something had happened during Solis's appointment with Deshaun Watson, an unlikely client for her nascent massage therapy business on March 30th, 2020. That message, not previously public, was sent the next day, according to the veteran therapist. That was before any lawsuits, high-profile lawyers, or PR spin, proof that Solis was upset enough to seek help in the immediate aftermath of the appointment. It is one of the many new pieces of information Sports Illustrated uncovered over the course of two months reporting on and around the lawsuit against Watson. Along with reviewing exchanges like the one above that were previously unreported or shared only in part, SI vetted information that had been dispensed both by the lawyers for Watson and for the 22 plaintiffs, which had sometimes been incomplete, out of context, or otherwise imprecise. One thing is clear. Warnings about Watson had been percolating in the Houston massage therapy community for some time. Some were mundane. He was a last-minute booker. Do, do not expect a tip. Others were far more troubling. 
Two LMTs told SI they were warned last year by others in their profession about Watson's inappropriate conduct, including his making sexually explicit motions on the table or insisting on using a small towel that would inadequately cover his genital area, rather than the standard massage draping. And the same industry veteran Solis's colleague contacted says she talked to Watson about his conduct after an appointment she set up in 2019 the one detailed to SI in March by a woman we called Mary, who has not filed a lawsuit. Again, that's an important part for just context around the story. None of these people, well, some of them, but none of these people who we're talking about here are filing lawsuits against Watson. This is outside of the 22 who are filing lawsuits at this point. After that appointment, the veteran therapist told Mary in a text message that, quote, only one therapist hasn't complained about Watson. SI also spoke to numerous other Houston area LMTs, multiple NFL players about massage therapy to get a better understanding of an LMT's role in professional football, and a therapist who says she had problematic interactions with other professional athletes, shedding light on the hazards women can face in an occupation too often conflated with sex work. This is the important part. Solis and the other 21 plaintiffs were not made available for interviews. So to correct what I said, these stories are from people who are not suing Deshaun Watson. One year after her session with Watson, Solis filed the first civil suit against him. There are now 22 active civil suits, each filed by a woman who says Watson engaged in some form of sexual misconduct towards her during massage appointments, including exposing himself, touching her with his penis, or in two cases, sexual assault by forcing oral sex. We'll get back to that part once we get to the legal element of this. The story, though, is more complicated than the binary matter of innocence or guilt. There's an enormous power imbalance in a star athlete, specifically a star quarterback's, every interaction intersecting with the vulnerability of the role performed in the hidden corners of the sports world, the often misunderstood nature of what constitutes consent and the difference between what is appropriate and what crosses a line legally, all of which plays a role in how 22 women and Deshaun Watson arrive at this point. And some of the other things that they talk about in this story, the women who came forward reached out to Busby as early as December of 2020. So this is before Deshaun Watson requested a trade. A second woman reached out to Busby in mid-January of 2020. Busby had about six cases he mentioned when Deshaun Watson was first informed of the sex, well, no, not sex, the massage therapist sexual harassment cases. And then that six went up to 22 once more women bravely came forward and started to mentioned their experiences with Deshaun Watson and the fact that they had had similar type experiences to what were being described within the massage therapy community. Conduct from 2019 to to as recently as 2021 was a problematic part of the physical therapy and massage community. This is, again, not direct quotes from the story. This is just research I took away from reading through the story. In the 2019 case, we we mentioned the story above, with Ashley Solis and the person who had uh, who had reached out saying that she had experienced, she had 
what was the word that they used? I apologize for not remembering that. Um, they, she had said, I have a colleague that was solicited during a session and this was in 2020, but there's a case that goes all the way back to 2019. And then someone that they said was skeptical because they don't know guys, an NFL to NFC defensive backs that I don't know guys who use 22 different masseuses, but we know with a hundred percent certainty Deshaun Watson reached out to at least 44 masseuses and massage therapists in the area because we had the 23 who had originally filed a claim. One dropped their suit. So that went from 23 to 22. So 23 plus 18 plus the three people that they talked to in this story. So that's at least 44 that we know of that Deshaun Watson reached out to within the last... 18 to 20 months and they described how his behavior escalated over time as Watson got more and more comfortable pursuing these situations and Ashley Solis was the person who reached out to Tony Busby in December of 2020 and so as Watson and as I guess you might expect as Watson got more and more comfortable as Watson had had more and more practice with you know, sexually explicit behaviors and what could constitute in two cases as sexual assault and more cases of like a misdemeanor felony assault. Deshaun Watson got more aggressive and the behavior escalated over time. And the most important reporting from Vrentas that she talks about is all of this was working behind the scenes well before the trade request. And that is the context that is very important for understanding the human element of this. Because one of the things that's been disheartening about the responses is that a lot of it harkens back to 1970s, 1980s uh, America, where, you know, there, there was a very high threshold for sexual assault and women were discouraged from coming out against powerful men. And I have a feeling that this reversal of fortune is starting to take place in a post Harvey Weinstein world. And we talked about this when we talked about March 11th, 2020 is that from about 2017 to 2020 with the emergence of the Harvey Weinstein case is that me too became the most pressing issue in America for a good couple of years is that sexual harassment, sexual assault of powerful people and abuse of power was becoming was regarded as the most pressing issue in America by the by a the largest number of Americans said the most pressing issue in America right now is sexual assault and sexual harassment especially by powerful people against inferior uh, or people who are in inferior positions and power dynamics like what we're describing with Deshaun Watson and what is scary about this is that the, the the parallels of it are remarkable where Harvey Weinstein's sentencing was literally on March 11th, 2020. And then hours later, the NBA shut down. Tom Hanks got COVID. And two days later, the entire world was getting ready to shut down. And what's remarkable about that is that all of a sudden, everyone had to start fending for themselves. It was caring about everyone else. And these are how, these are how generations shift like this. Generations go from being usually a counterculture to a right to a strong culture. It's usually we care about everyone else until we're fending for ourselves. Uh, we can go back further to World War II. 
into the 1950s of white picket fence, everyone buying houses, everyone kind of fending for themselves, which leads into the counterculture 60s, which then bleeds into the 70s. Then you have the button-down Reagan 80s and Nixon in between those two countercultures a little bit. So then you have the counterculture movement of the 60s into the 70s. Then you have the button-down 80s. Then the counterculture 80s. Then the 90s where things slowly but steadily get back to being a, a less of a counterculture until the late 90s where the counterculture returns. And then 9-11 happens. And then 2010 becomes a counterculture. And now we're coming back to the regular culture of everyone fending for themselves and anti-BLM movements and everyone kind of going back to being the, the standard per se. This is now we're living in a place where everyone had to fend for themselves. Everyone's very scared because of the pandemic. And so at a certain point, everyone kind of goes back to that world. And so this is the counterculture coming back. Well, the counterculture ending and the the pull to the push coming forward. It's a longer story. I'm not doing a great job of explaining it, but the overall point being we have not seen a great response around the Deshaun Watson case. And all of this is important to point out because every layer of context is important when we're talking about sexual assault and sexual harassment because of this human element, because there are real people going through real circumstances and a whole community in Houston that seems to have had open knowledge like, hey, you should probably avoid Deshaun Watson at all costs, even though, as one person described it, like at a certain point, she had to turn him down. I want to try and find the story in here again. Um, yeah, so one of the LMTs, at, this is a direct quote, one of the LMTs SI spoke to was surprised when Watson DM'd her on Instagram in the spring of 2020 because she does not specialize in sports massage and works in a suburb about an hour outside of Houston. When she told him she was not able to work because of the state's COVID-19 restrictions, he asked, quote, is it because you're scared you'll lose your license? She told him yes, and he replied, you'll be good with me, but okay. Both messages were sent around 11 p.m. She never worked on him. But the date of an incident described in one of the lawsuits jumped out at her. It was the day after Watson had messaged her. SI reviewed screenshots of this exchange, which appeared to be sent from Watson's verified Instagram account. Rusty Harden said he would not address reporting from anonymous sources, did not provide a response to questions regarding this exchange or anonymous accounts. SI granted this LMT's request for anonymity to protect her privacy and business. Quote, I was extremely relieved, she said, because I will tell you, I really did almost message him and be like, okay, because landing him as a client could mean so much money for my business. But in my gut, I felt it off. And the next day, we end up having one of the cases being mentioned in the sexual assault lawsuit, or I'm sorry, the sexual harassment slash sexual assault lawsuit against Deshaun Watson, civil suit, whatever. Um, it's the same idea. 17 of the 22 plaintiffs, this is a direct quote from the article, 17 of the 22 plaintiffs say in their lawsuit that Watson made first contact with them through social media, where they market their business. The majority of plaintiffs also said they had never worked before on any Texans players. The five other plaintiffs say either their boss set up an appointment with Watson or they were referred to him through a mutual friend. The veteran therapist who Solis, con who Solis's colleague reached out to for advice 
has referred Watson to multiple other therapists, including Mary, who previously shared her account of Watson's misconduct with SI, and one of the plaintiffs. This veteran therapist agreed to an interview with SI, but only under the condition of anonymity. Since her name had not yet been shared publicly, we granted her request because of the importance of hearing an account from, at this point, the only therapist to publicly acknowledge having referred Watson to others. However, parts of her story shifted over a series of interviews. SI will refer to her by the pseudonym Susan. Susan had been a licensed massage therapist for more than a decade, with clientele she says is about 90% athletes. She's worked on Watson many times over the several years, and she's only had professional experiences. Susan had eight other therapists she sends clients to when her schedule is full, which she did regularly with Watson. Again, I think it was like five of these therapists end up being part of the sexual assault lawsuit on Watson or the sexual harassment lawsuit. Mary told SI she, that during her appointment with Watson in fall of 2019, he purposely removed the towel covering told her she could touch and move his exposed penis. She ignored the suggestion and began thrusting his pelvis into the air after developing an erection. She also noticed what she believed to be pre-ejaculate on Watson's stomach. Susan confirmed that Mary's reporting concerns about Watson's con Mary, sorry, Mary reported concerns about Watson's conduct directly to her following their appointment, specifically the thrusting and that he wanted to be uncovered. She says she apologized to Mary and was almost embarrassed. That happened with one of her clients in fall of 2019. Susan said she then talked to Watson about his conduct with Mary, but declines to share details of that conversation, calling it confidential. And that this ends up being one of five of those cases referred to by another person. Doesn't specifically state whether it's Mary or not, or not married, whether it's Susan or not. Mary was the person who had come forward with the allegations last time, but it doesn't state specifically whether or not it's Susan who they're talking about, but five of the people in the lawsuit recognize that this was referrals from them. And so that's the human element to this story. Now let's go back to the legal element. Civil suits, if they go to a trial, could take up to a year and, uh, sorry, a year and a half and Watson as I've been saying for a good month or so, will settle out of court for whatever is being asked most likely because he does not have leverage in this situation and resume his pursuit of a trade from the Houston Texans. And this could take him into next year's season two. It's entirely possible that this plays out. There had already been some settlement negotiations, but ultimately they ended up falling apart and now the two sides are not negotiating a settlement. <laughs> And Watson has no leverage in the situation except paying out a negotiated settlement. His leverage is his money in this case. And so Deshaun Watson doesn't have much of a place to turn at this point. The timing of all of this is most important for Watson because how can he time this right if he wants to ultimately achieve his football element of being back in professional football? Watson, like I mentioned, he does not have leverage in this situation. Ultimately, Deshaun Watson will pay out the settlement because it would it would be terrible legal advice, terrible legal advice to not pay out settlements instead of going to a full trial across a year and a half in the civil suit. First and foremost, because civil suits are not beyond a shadow of a doubt. Civil suits are important because only you only have to establish more likely than not evidence. 
that Deshaun Watson engaged in these explicit behaviors. And the fact that there's 22 cases, maybe you won't win all of them, but you're not going to win all 22. It's just not possible if you're Deshaun Watson. With the amount of evidence stacking up against you and 22 women coming forward, you might win some of them, but you're not going to win all of them. And so Deshaun Watson will, if he goes through the civil suit, have to pay out damages anyways. And he doesn't have leverage in this situation because if he pays out the damages, well, you'd want to work again. He's set to make $40 million next year. Deshaun Watson wants to be able to play again, but he also is working a trade out of Houston and nobody has called on Deshaun Watson because of the ongoing situation. And so this could take him that again, like I said, the timing is important on this, but it's when does Deshaun Watson ready to settle? This will end in a settlement. It will lead to some people who don't understand the civil suit process to, you know, vilify the women for settling out of court, that this was all about money and all of the the terrible um, nihilist, not nihilistic, narcissistic, not narcissistic. What's uh, anyway, so the, the terrible idea that this is, you know, somehow less legitimate because they're settling out of court. It's beneficial for both sides to settle out of court. Um, one, it doesn't draw out the process for the people who are, you know, pursuing a civil suit on Deshaun Watson. And, you know, maybe it brings some sort of closure is the the admit of culpability and some sort of financial settlement. And for Deshaun Watson, the timing is so important because you need to get back to football next year. So Deshaun Watson will settle out of court. There's no way it would be terrible legal advice by his lawyer to not settle out of court. It would just I mean, maybe he has a price is the other part. Maybe it's I don't know. $5 million. Maybe it's two and a half million dollars, whatever it is like Deshaun Watson, whatever his price is, he hasn't found it yet. And to be honest, he doesn't have leverage to drive down the bargain at this point. They're willing to ride it out. He's got all the pressure to settle because of the season upcoming. And the fact that he might be not able to make $40 million playing football next year and get his Nike deals back, and speed up his trade request with the Texans. So there's no leverage for Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is going to settle out of court, and that's going to be how the case ends up. He's not going to have leverage. It's just delaying the timing right now, and timing is so important for Watson. Um, in terms of the legal precedent, we talked about this a little earlier. Two of the 22 cases are are of felonies in Texas, which actually has a pretty high bar for sexual assault and sexual uh, actually, for felony sexual assault, the bar is pretty high. But two of them are alleging forced oral sex by Deshaun Watson. And many more would be classified as misdemeanors under Texas law. So in terms of a criminal investigation, we know the criminal investigation is open by the Houston PD. Two are alleging felony assault. And many more would be misdemeanors where Deshaun Watson wouldn't face jail time, but he would face significant punishments, um, You know, court-ordered therapy, um, paying significant fines, uh, having a criminal record, things like that. And coercion will be part of the legal prosecution that Deshaun Watson has in a lot of cases where he could ruin lives and businesses or revoke large payments from his clients if they, per se, don't perform oral sex. This happens all the time, not just in you know the NFL circles, in sports, but this happens in all circles. This happens all the time in major professions. This happens in corporate America. This happens in Hollywood. This happens on college campuses all the time. 
And coercion is going to be a big part of that legal prosecution of Deshaun Watson, whether it be in the civil suit or in the criminal suit. So now let's take that football element we put to the side and bring it back in real quick. Because Deshaun Watson is looking at a situation where his criminality and his ability to settle out of court for whatever the payment ends up being and court-ordered therapy or whatever it ends up being. Now we bring the football element back in that brings us into this story. Um, I've been saying this before. like People talked about Deshaun Watson not reporting to OTAs for the Texans. Um, and him posting workouts on social media again. Deshaun Watson will never play another game for the Houston Texans. Let's put that first and foremost. Deshaun Watson will never play another football game for the Houston Texans. The fact that, of course, he's steadfast in his trade request. That relationship has just, it was fried before. This has to fry it to another level. He will never play for the Texans again. Deshaun Watson will end up getting traded. The Texans seemed ready to trade him. They haven't gotten trade offers but that's because of the ongoing legal situation. Deshaun Watson is going to have the legal situation play out. He'll settle, and then teams can start calling the Texans. And I don't know what timeline the Texans are looking at now. This is all a matter of timing on when Watson settles. But Deshaun Watson will never play another game for the Houston Texans again, and that is pretty much a guarantee. The timing of when he'll get traded is all based on when his timing on the legal side plays out. When is he ready to settle? They've already entered settlement negotiations. They're not presently negotiating a settlement. This will all draw out across a year and a half, which could put 2022 in jeopardy if he wants to see this out. It's going to end in a settlement for Deshaun Watson. And to be honest, he doesn't have leverage. So whatever he's getting right now, he should probably take it because a settlement is probably somewhat less than what they're asking for in damages in court. And yes, maybe you can bet that all 22 won't won't end up being proven, you know, he's culpable and he has to pay out those settlements anyways. But your odds aren't great that you're going to get all 22 vindicated. There's just way too much evidence stacked up against Deshaun Watson. And so that's where the football element comes into all of this stuff that we are seeing. And that's our story with Deshaun Watson. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping into the take it easy podcast. Again, episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sunday. I'm kind of excited for Wired Up this week. It's going to be a special little surprise. Um, Thanks again for stopping in here. Leave those five-star ratings, follow, download on Apple. It is very, very appreciated. Shout out to everyone on Overcast and shout out to everyone tuning in on Spotify. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.